Welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me today as we step into Rules Don't Apply in a review episode. Uh, I went and saw Rules Don't Apply a few days ago, and it's a return to the big screen for Warren Beatty, who has been away from the movie Hollywood engine animal company animal engine whatever for 15 years now uh, since 2001 and as someone who is you know a huge name you know Warren Beatty is you know he's been a director a producer and an actor for a very long time and then he just decided to do something else for a while and he's finally back, and he chose to come back in a film called Rules Don't Apply, where he plays this um, kind of sleazy billionaire type that may or may not have dementia during the course of the film. Um, but... Uh, you may know him better as uh, Howard Hughes. And if that name does not sound familiar to you, which it might not because you may be on the younger side of things, uh, you may also remember a movie called The Aviator starring Leonardo DiCaprio, which was also about Howard Hughes. And now I don't pretend to know much about Howard Hughes as a person. I really only have the information that I've learned through these two movies of his. But from what I gather, he started out as an aviator and built planes, built lots of things, and ultimately became someone who was more of a recluse Donald Trump type of person you know he just he had money and his money made money and you know as he got older he started to surround himself with young aspiring actresses and I, if, if that if the reason for that was outlined in the film I don't recall it and I don't know that there is a reason really other than He's an old man being surrounded by young women. But you get the sense in the movie that that's not... That, like, the sexual aspect of things is not the intent of what he's doing. So I'm not entirely sure if he just felt like women weren't getting enough roles or anything like that. But maybe that that's something that... You know, you get this peek into this man's life and... He seems to have had a fascinating life. You know, he addresses... Um, it's not really Congress so much as mm-hmm. a particular board of people. And 
or it's like the mm, it's like some sort of agency or or I don't know it, it it's in the movie though he addresses a panel to defend uh, a plane that he has built kind of like um there, there's a scene in Iron Man 2 where Robert Downey Jr. addresses a board of people in the same fashion. It's, it's like it's just like that. Uh, and so kind of, so so to kind of frame this in my own expectations of the film, I, I listen to uh, I listen to a, about a dozen different movie podcasts and one of them focuses primarily on, the Oscars and the upcoming awards shows and things like that. And one of the uh, co-hosts of the show has argued many times that for this film, rules don't apply. Warren Beatty is returning to film after 15 years and that this is finally when they're going to give him the recognition that he just genuinely deserves you know he he's been in some pretty impressive movies over the over his past and he's been nominated before but has never won any oscars which or i'm sorry let me let me clarify uh that statement he has won an oscar he's never won an oscar for uh acting you know he he won best director for reds which is a very good movie which is code for it's in the high 70s on my spreadsheet and he's been nominated a handful of times for director picture actor everything you know he's, he's put out a lot of strong films uh, my personal favorite is Bonnie and Clyde, which is actually in my top 100. And then my favorite, though, that he, my favorite role of his is Bullworth, which is just, I, I found it like incredibly absurd, but it, it I don't know, the idea of Warren Beatty rapping as a politician is kind of ridiculous but he manages to make it somehow make sense especially given the political climate that we're in today it, it it's all the more relevant than it ever has been so anyway the, this guy on this podcast continued to kept saying and bringing this up and saying you know hey this is the movie he's going to get his recognition not only is he going to be nominated, but he's going to win. And at first, they presumed that he would be going under supporting actor. And having seen the film, I it's tough. I do think that he cla- cla- is cla- would be classified as a supporting actor in my mind. You know, Alden Ehrenreich and Lily Collins are the two leads. And even though Warren Beatty is a very close very nearly a main role he is in as far as i'm concerned supporting the the main story which is about 
the Lily Collins and Alden Ehrenreich characters. So after a few episodes, you know, he kept bringing this up, best supporting, best supporting. But then all of a sudden they said that he was being campaigned as best actor for a lead, which was really strange. Well, I mean, at the time it wasn't strange, but is strange now because it's, I really like category fraud is a thing. And, you know, who there's, there's many instances of it in the past. You know, I believe Viola Davis is campaigning for supporting actress in Fences, even though for the exact same role on Broadway, she won a Tony for lead actress, uh, you know, things like that. Like, I get that studios and producers and probably even actors and actors themselves want the best chance to win and be nominated but as a voter you know i couldn't possibly i would not vote for someone that was a lead if they were in the supporting category you know like i don't that doesn't make sense to me so that i i have issues with that and having you know so so for the same thing same reason i don't think I feel like Warren Beatty is a supporting character, not a lead. But I also don't think that he's going to get the nomination. And it's a shame. You know, I don't, you could, like I said, I don't think he's even going to get a nomination, let alone win. And, you know, I could be wrong. I've I've frequently been wrong. And, you know, I've I've considered, you know, years past that, you know, looking, if I just took the top 10 movies that I thought were the best from that year and made those my best picture nominations, I think I on I average matching up five movies, or about half, I get about half of them that the Academy usually puts forth. And I think 20... 13 or 20 what was it boyhood was 2014 boyhood birdman grand Budapest, whiplash i think yeah 2014 was the year that i i think i had the most in common because boyhood birdman and whiplash were my top three films of the year in that order and all three of them were winning like pretty much all the awards uh, and grand Budapest was n- number five so I had a, a hefty majority of the awards went to the movies that were in my top five. And so, you know, for example, looking at this year, you know, Don't Think Twice is in my top ten right now. Highly unlikely it gets any nominations. Swiss Army Man might see one, but I doubt it. Um, you know, two animated films currently, or three, Kubo, Moana, and Zootopia you know, they're animated films, so their range of award nominations is pretty limited. And, you know, I, I, so it's, you know, I don't, I have a lot of gripes and issues with the Academy in general from their uh, base of, their, the breakdown of, like, what the members, you know, based on 
skin color, based on gender, based on age, particularly age. I think age is the most egregious error problem that they have. But but my, my biggest issue is that by their own admission, they don't watch all the movies. And that is... I find that really insulting. And sorry, if we're kind of getting off on a pretty distant tangent, but just to wrap this up, you know, I I can go back each year and tell you how many of the Oscar-winning films I've seen and Oscar-nominated films I've seen and how many more I have to go. So, for example, I've seen every Oscar-winning film from last year, I've seen every Oscar-winning film from the year before that, and recently I've been trying to uh, play catch-up and be completely 100% ready when the ceremony starts. I haven't been able to do that simply because a lot of the foreign films or documentaries or shorts, particularly like foreign and documentary shorts, are difficult to acquire if you're not getting them or near a city where they show them at a theater like on a special night which I'm not uh, they don't really do that here and you know like I would it, it wouldn't bother me if they didn't they just didn't, refu- didn't vote on categories where they hadn't seen all the films but they still vote you know like I remember reading an article about uh best animated feature of the year frozen one and i do not think frozen should have won and hold on a second uh let me see i I don't remember what it was up against at that that year anyway So this was 2013, Frozen beat out The Croods, which is fair, I think it's better than The Croods, Despicable Me 2, again, I agree agree with that, Ernest and Celestine, no, not a chance, Ernest and Celestine, it's a beautiful film, it's a unique, it's a unique interpretation and animation style, beautiful story, and I only watched the foreign version i think it's french originally and then they did an english dub after it received the nomination i believe which i still haven't seen Uh, but i would have much easily have picked ernest and celestine over frozen as well as the wind rises which again i would pick over frozen and frozen is a is a great movie i think i have it given it an 80 so it's great but I think Ernest and Celestine and The Wind Rises are better. And that's fine. You know, I, I get that just because I think it's not the best doesn't mean it's not going to win. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of people that vote for this. But when this article that I read put out uh, the ballots that the mem- Academy members voted with, and a lot of their comments were, you know, it's got that catchy song, Frozen. Or, you know, it's the only one I, of these that I've seen, Frozen. And that terrifies me. Uh, I, 
that hurts because I am so invested in this industry, in this medium, in this entire field of, you know, product and all, all of it, every aspect of it, that for people who are in a position that actually, like, I don't, I have, I don't delude myself to think that I really influence the movie industry at all, but for people that do, to take it, to not take it so it's like seriously at all, is baffling to me, insulting to me. I, I find it really frustrating. So, <laughs> to to tie this back to Warren Beatty, I think that there's a chance he wins if his name ends up on the ballot because, you know, you have these people who don't take the performances at face value. And not that his performance is bad. I think his performance is very good. He is believably an older man with dementia. He may actually have it himself. You know, he, he does seem to be kind of a crazy, kooky person based on a lot of the roles that I've seen him have and play. But... I never felt like it was just Warren Beatty there. I always knew, watching the film, that like this is Howard Hughes. Like he he sold me on it totally. And so I see that like if he does actually get a name on a ballot, there are probably a decent chunk of people who are gonna say, Warren Beatty, he hasn't been around in a while. He's owed one, which is another sentiment that I find awful about the Academy. But, you know, in my mind, the best performance in the movie was actually Lily Collins. Um, she hasn't really had a chance to exactly break out in her own right. And well, one, that's kind of a shame because she's kind of, she's very young and she's taken on a lot of roles that are less demanding, I suppose you would say. Uh, this one is probably her best role yet. You know, she would most notably have been in uh, the Mortal Instruments film from last a couple years ago. She played Snow White in Mirror Mirror from 2012. She's been in The English Teacher stuck in you stuck in love um and uh the blind side uh, was her first film actually and she's got like three films in the pipeline for next year and it's a shame because I, I doubt she'll get any recognition particularly considering the best actress candidates this for this year already but you know i i constantly feel as though the academy looks at a movie and weighs the names you know almost as heavily as the actual performance is which is just all right all right <laughs> let me let me move past this this and actually Rules don't apply. Here's the movie. Let's let's go into the movie. So, Lily Collins uh, plays Marla Mabry, who is an aspiring actress who has recently come 
to Hollywood with her mother, uh, played by Warren Beatty's in-real-life wife, Annette Benning, And she's been given a house from Howard Hughes. And now she's just waiting to meet him and see if she can be an actress. And her driver, one of her drivers, she has two drivers that we see during the movie. Uh, Presumably there are another handful of drivers that are actually there that we don't ever get to see, though. And the first one she has is... Uh, Alden Ehrenreich, who, if that name isn't terribly familiar to you, that's because this is like his third or fourth movie or something like that. Uh, maybe a little more than that, maybe five or six, seven. Um, but he was in, he had a small role in Blue Jasmine, and he played one of the main characters in Hail Caesar, uh, Hobie, the cowboy that sang. And he has been cast as Han Solo in the uh, Han Solo prequel Star Wars film uh, set for 2018. So presumably he will be a name to to go forward with and remember. And I remember watching in a Hail Caesar I have I did not like I think it was easily my least favorite Coen Brothers film. I thought it was so disjointed. It didn't make any fucking sense at all. But in this movie, Alden Ehrenreich is actually very charming. He has a lot of charisma, uh, great chemistry with Lily Collins. And whether or not that's due to Lily Collins or due to the two of them or due to Alden Ehrenreich, I don't know. Because, again, neither of them has been in, has been in a ton of films. And... You know, for the most part, their performances in these other films have been average to subpar, in my opinion. Now, putting them together in this film, they're actually really good. I I really enjoyed them. I I liked seeing them. Lily Collins is the sweetest, most adorable thing I've seen on the screen in a long time. And her relationship with... uh, Ehrenreich, uh, who plays Frank Forbes, uh, is is tumultuous. It's very up and down. It's very roller coastery. You know, they have they each come from their own separate worlds. They each have their own lives, and those lives are important and play a role in the story as their blossoming blossoming relationship seeks to overtake them and overpower the other things in their lives. And it's interesting to to watch them because they convey these different emotions and they play off of each other so well. And so Alden Ehrenreich is the first driver she has and, you know, he waits for her, takes her where she needs to go um, and they begin to be friends and there's, you know, going back to the title of film, there's rules uh, that Howard Hughes has put into place, such as uh, drivers cannot have any relationships with the women that they drive around, they can't go on dates, they can't do any of that kind of thing. And he's reminded of this quite often by his other, the other driver that we meet, played by Matthew Broderick. 
and I felt at first I was like, what the shit? Matthew Broderick is such an out of place actor for this this movie. Except he isn't. And it took me a while to realize, and it wasn't until I was putting the data in my spreadsheet that I found out that Matthew Broderick's been in a lot of good movies. Um, you know, I kind of I feel like I end up putting a lot of like the nineteen ninety nine Godzilla on his uh on just like making that his standout film and it's not you know between the lion king where he voices adult simba uh, to ferris bueller you know he he's got a lot of iconic roles that he's been in um you know he was in uh, just let me see looking down his imdb here uh, Margaret from 2011 is very good. He's the main voice in The Tale of Despero, which I thought was good. He's a voice in B-Movie, which has found sort of a cult following. He's in The Producers. Um, let's see, who else do we have? You Can Count on Me, I thought was quite good. Election is great. He's a great Great performance in election. Uh, you know, I re- I really enjoy the cable guy. I haven't seen it in a while, um, but th- that's just me. He's in the the freshman, and you know, like there's actually a lot of good movies that he's been in. That I just I see Matthew Broderick and I think Godzilla. <laughs> And that's not fair. I, I definitely, especially in seeing him in this, has definitely affected that opinion of him in my mind. And he was, I thought he was really good in this. And, you know, he, he's, uh, he's very lecherous and, you know, he's very two-timing and, and a hypocrite. You know, he constantly tells Frank Forbes, you know, hey, look, can't do anything you know that's why we've got the rules the rules the rules 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 that's him over and over and over again to to frank and yet there's a couple just glimpses of shots and i actually really enjoyed this aspect of the film that and this decision by Beatty or the editors or whoever it was that there'd be these little scenes maybe a second or two long that had such a huge impact on characters not necessarily on the plot but just on the way you view the characters and ultimately like the movie kind of just passes over them it glimpses you it shows you a glimpse of them for a second and then it passes over them as if they didn't happen and they don't necessarily come back up and they don't necessarily affect character motivations after that but they do such a good job of categorizing characters that if you miss those moments, you might it won't it probably won't hinder your ability to watch the movie. But cla- catching them as they pass you by will really strengthen the way you perceive what's happening because you get to see it through with it just a slightly tinted lens than had you not noticed. Um, you know, because Broderick makes 
I want to say three, maybe two uh, small passes at uh, Marla, Lily Collins' character. And each one of them is this, one of these really brief scenes. And, like, she doesn't really respond. She's like, no, that's okay. Or, but, like, it's not like he's saying, like, hey, let's go on a date. It's like, you know, we could, like, sneak away and get some lunch or something. And she's just like, no, I'm not hungry. Let's just go back. And, you know, in, you got to be thinking, like, in his head, he's like, he's like, well, she she goes out and eats special lunches with Alden Aaron, with Frank Forbes, you know. Like, she, what she want with me? Like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? And you don't need that for Broderick's character. You know, you get enough of it, just his sense of, like, follow the rules, but, like, he kind of, he does enough otherwise to give you the sense that he's not perfect either. But just elevating that a little more, I, I really liked those touches. And there, there's a lot of them throughout the movie. And particularly, another one, which is kind of a different side of things, and less about the way the film's shot and edited, but the casting of the film. So Beatty, Collins, Ehrenreich, and Broderick are probably the main stars in the movie. Uh, I mentioned Annette Benning, who plays Marla Mabry's mother, but she's not really in the movie that long. You've got Tysa Farmiga, who plays Ehrenreich's uh, girlfriend, fiance, back home who's, like, in two scenes. You've got Ed Harris, I think, has one line in one scene as Ehrenreich's father. You've got Alec Baldwin, who comes in in the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie for, like, two scenes. Uh, uh, Candace Bergen, I believe. I'm remembering. Yeah, Candace Bergen is there for, like, a scene or two. Martin Sheen for a scene or two. Uh... You know, you've got all these, you know, Paul Schneider has a small role. Amy Madigan plays um, Aaron Reich's mother. Or no, I'm sorry. Ed Harris and Amy Madigan play Tysa Farmiga's mother, Aaron Reich's fiance. He, he visits their home to have dinner with them one night and they're all there. They have like one line, one scene, and... You know, obviously, obviously, they're just there for Warren Beatty. You know, they want to work with him again. It's been so long. Kind of the Wes Anderson, Woody Allen type of thing where, like, everybody wants to work with him. Everybody wants a piece of this. Everybody wants to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Everybody wants this, this, this. and Or Star Wars, you know, like Daniel Craig as that stormtrooper. Everybody wanted to have something in this movie. And so Warren Beatty just said, sure. And it's interesting because, like, a lot of these characters and a lot of these actors are from a much... They, they're they very good. They have a great quality of work, great body of work. But a lot of them would be remembered from, like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, Ed Harris, Amy Madigan, Annette Benning, Candice Bergen, they're all old. They are all past their prime in a way you know a lot of them their iconic films are from 10 20 years ago and presumably the people watching this movie are of an older crowd you know i'm not really the demographic that this movie hits you know warren Beatty is old 
people that remember Warren Beatty, you know, if his last movie was 15 years ago, these people are probably, you know, at least 40, probably older than that. And so for them, all these cameos, all these small roles are very impactful. You know, these are people that they remember seeing when Warren Beatty was, you know, making movies all the time. And so me having this extensive spreadsheet being very in tuned to the cinematic universe of movies you know for me it was a really a real treat because not only are they you know adding their uh, uh, abilities to the film and you know elevating these smaller roles which you know could have just been momentary and insignificant and but making them you know giving them a little bit more resonance but they're also in this movie so i get to add them to my spreadsheet and that is really great i I love that so much Uh, so all in all and (laughs) a lot of tangents but without spoiling anything i think that the movie is very good. I won't say great, but I think it's very good. Uh, I gave it a 73 on my spreadsheet, and I definitely liked it more than I thought it was good. You know, that number is would be a little bit lower if it were based less on, if it was based more, if it was more, more of an objective number and would be a little higher if it was more subjective. You know, I felt I was really happy with this movie. I laughed quite a bit. I was I could feel for the characters. I was connecting with the characters. But there definitely is this sense that as charming as the movie is, it's really like like I mentioned about the editing being very choppy, you know, that movie is that way. And for better or worse, and sometimes better, sometimes worse, it has that element of you don't really understand what you're seeing, why you're seeing it, how it connects to the story, because there are quite a few different plot lines happening. You've got uh, the romance between Lily Collins and Alda Ehrenreich. You've got the Matthew Broderick character who impacts that storyline, but he also connects Ehrenreich to... Beatty's Howard Hughes, then you've got Hughes's entire like company drama thing that's happening, which is then pull he pulls then pulls in Ehrenreich into that part of the story, and then like the ro- romantic subplot goes away for a while, but then it comes back. But this time it's between other people, and and you know it just it's constantly in flux, and the film is not tight enough to handle all that shifting around and up and down and ebbs and flows of of the plot and narrative that way and so i think that while it struggles in a, in a pacing department it struggles in its storytelling it it gets by for me on the performances of the actors on the chemistry between them and on just the you can see 
the the touch of Beatty's directing and like him or like him like him or his directing or not I think he does a really good job of even if the film itself is not entirely focused he makes sure that each moment is focused if that makes any sense um yeah he yeah that's that's what that's that's how I'm going to say that yes and so you know hey it's i re- i saw after, like after i'd seen the movie after i had you know kind of put in my head where i wanted to rank it on my spreadsheet um as i was putting in the data it it, it had dropped it was fresh uh a while ago when i first looked at the rotten tomato score but this most recent time i saw it it was a 47 so now it's rotten and I, I forget the synopsis for why that is but I, th- I think critics have a much harder time with the editing and direction of the film perhaps and so that's that's another reason why I feel as though Beatty's Academy Award nomination is probably not going to happen but you never know you know you've got a lot of movies you know, looking at a movie like, uh, oh, that Robert Duvall movie that came out. It had Robert Downey Jr. in it. Uh, what was it called? The Judge. Robert Duvall and The Judge was pretty critically mixed to panned. Um, I think it's got somewhere in the 40s on Rotten Tomatoes. But he still managed to get a supporting actor nomination. So, you know, I wouldn't count Beatty out of that race yet, but I do think that his chances have dropped since the last time I listened to that other podcast and they mentioned it. I'll be interested to hear uh, them talk about it again as we get closer to the award shows. And, you know, the nomination show is one of my favorites. I I do really enjoy that. I love seeing... I wish there was a little more ceremony to it. It's basically just one famous person and one Academy member reading names. So it's not entirely exciting to watch if you don't have a spreadsheet where it affects this. So that's that's my thing. But anyway... So, rules don't apply. 73. I was quite taken by it. I found it very charming. Um, if you can get past some of the directorial decisions that are made. And if you have been waiting for Warren Beatty to return to the movies, definitely a movie that you will enjoy, I think. He gives a strong performance. And it, it definitely it has a lot more in common with a character like Bullworth than it does with Clyde from Money and Clyde or some of his more serious roles so keep that in mind uh, and uh, that's that's going to do it um, thank you for listening I hope I didn't ramble too much and take too many side streets to get us to our destination I will not be going into spoilers for this movie um, mostly because 
of the length of time that I've already talked and how close it is to time to sleep for me. Uh, but it is now, this is being, episode is being released November 29th. Tomorrow will be the first uh, scavenger hunt review episode where and I'm still kind of working out the details for that as to just how in-depth for each film I want to go. But that will probably be one of the more longer, one of the longer episodes, uh, close to probably the preview episode for November, which was, I think it clocked in at like an hour and a half. And I would expect this next episode to be somewhere around there as well. And then on December 1st, you will get the December scavenger hunt preview, which I have already filled in and will definitely attach in the show notes at that time. So thank you for listening. Uh, And you can find me at circleoffilm.com. You can email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined, uh, you may like and review me on iTunes if you find my podcast somewhat enjoyable. And don't mind taking a side street every now and then and every now and again. And as always, have a week. So long, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.